Hi everyone. Welcome to season two, episode five of Agent Provocateur. Today on the show, we examine the question every writer dares not ask. How far into your work do agents and editors read before they pick up the phone and call you? Okay, that's that's your fantasy. Or probably more realistically, they just stop and move on. You you drop in the opposite direction. Like, there's no way they're ever going to read my book. They have 30 million books that they're reading. Assistant agent Jennifer Chavez gives us some tips on crafting a great logline. You've got one sentence to get to your story's essence. Make every word count. But first, agent Catherine Wilms hosts a panel tackling a weighty issue. Is manuscript word count simply a case of commerce? Or do specific stories need specific lengths? All that and more on today's Asian Provocateur. Catherine Wilms and I'm an associate agent at the Rights Factory, and I'm really excited about today's panel. Uh, today we convene to answer Cosmo Magazine's favorite question: Does size matter? By which, of course, we mean book length. Word count is the topic of many conversations in this industry、um, between various combinations of agents, editors, writers, sales teams, and readers. And it's no surprise that recently it was a topic of discussion on Twitter.、And、by discussion, of course, I mean a low-key, politely curious conversation.、Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> People had thoughts,、um, as do I.、Uh, this is a topic of which I have、uh, a lot of strongly held opinions that completely contradict each other. So I'm so pleased we have an excellent and multi-qualified panel to weigh in on what's the deal with word count and what does our preoccupation with it say about our industry. Russell Smith is a novelist, a freelance journalist, and cultural commentator, and a former Globe columnist and CBC radio host. He is now an acquiring editor of fiction and nonfiction at Dundurn Press. Hello, Russell. Hi. Amanda's son is an author repped by Jabberwocky. She previously worked at Harlequin, and now we're thrilled to have her on board as a TRF editorial associate. Welcome, Amanda. Hi. Great to be here. So first, let's get a quick on-the-ground report from a Twitter follower who stayed abreast of this whole conversation. Amanda, can you tell us what happened? Absolutely. So as often happens, Twitter was alight with some discussion this past week over, of all things, word count. It all started when an editor commented on how heartbreaking it is to receive a stellar submission that doesn't fall within the conventional word count, implying that on the basis of word count alone, it must be rejected. Some of Twitter was quick to object, saying a beautiful, moving work should be beyond a specified word count, citing classics such as The Great Gatsby, which at forty-seven thousand words comes in. Uh, far under the conventional adult fiction range of eighty to one hundred thousand. Now, others defended the word count ranges, saying, "After all, this is a business, and publishers need to not only afford to print the books, but produce works that readers will recognize and purchase." There were many hot takes, and I'm excited to hear what this panel thinks about this topic. Awesome, thanks, Amanda.、Uh, so, Russell, let's start with you. Where do you fall on this issue? How much does word count factor into your interest? Uh, in a project. Well, first of all, I was completely unaware that it was an issue.、Uh, I'm not、oh. on Twitter. I didn't know about this. The numbers that are being thrown around 
in that discussion are com frankly completely foreign to my experience as an acquiring editor. And I'll go into detail about the numbers in a minute. But before uh, I do, um, let me just say that I think it's really interesting to point out that uh, the original editor who, who posted the co comments that were controversial on Twitter, who was saying she would only look at uh, books that were, uh, I think, between 80 and 100,000 words long, um, which, is, which, is, which are numbers far longer than I would normally toss around, actually. Um, uh, that she's working, I looked her up, she's working entirely in genre fiction. So, so she's talking about um, romance, mystery, fantasy, horror, uh, and science fiction, and all the various combinations uh, of those. Um, uh, where, where word length seems to be a part of the genre. And in literary fiction, we don't have such strict regulations at all. So I, Rus Russell, I think that's a, a really interesting point. Uh, Amanda, as a writer, um, where does word count come into your writing process and is it affected by the genre in which you write? Well, and see, I hadn't really thought about that because I am a genre writer and also a YA writer and word count is really crucial. Um, I find that it's part of learning the process as you are wanting to be published and you have to learn all the different conventions that you um, have to follow. There's, you know, um, reaching out to an agent, they're not going to look at your project if it's 150,000 as a debut writer. Um, and it's part of learning the ropes of what's expected of you and starting that separation from art as a project versus um, for itself or art that you want to then publish um, as a business. And so it's part of, of that sort of learned convention for me. It's also a very helpful guidepost to me when I'm writing, because you can sort of look at the word count, say, okay, I should be at this story beat now, I should be wrapping things up here. Um, and, and so it can actually be very a very useful tool. Um, but I think it really says a lot about, do you understand um, the conventions of this genre um, by the word count that you're submitting to your editor or to your agent? Which, which is really very much what I'm saying, because the word conventions there is crucial. Genre depends on conventions, <laughs> and and so uh, if you're if you're trying uh, to not worry about conventions or even to exclude them entirely, uh, then some of those considerations about word count fall by the wayside. Uh, do you do you want to get into some nitty gritty? Like, can we actually talk about numbers here? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So so. Uh, uh, the, the, the editor we were we first started this conversation going talking on Twitter uh, said, oh, she's also disappointed when uh, she gets books come in between 50 and 70,000 words long. She's talking about novels. This is fiction we're talking about uh, because they're too short. That made my eyes bug out of my head because we are really, for literary fiction in particular, I am actually actively looking for around the 60,000 word length. And I would go as low as about 45. 45 is, is about our cutoff for, for how short it could be, which is in novella length there. Um, it would be hard for me to push past my, my, the accountant at my publishing house, uh, a, a book that's so short, 45,000, because there are conventional views that say that, that people aren't going to be willing to shell out for a short book because we have to charge almost as much for it as we do for a longer book and people are going to feel that they're uh, ripped off. But, it, but um, I could make the case that it's a powerful work of literature and needs to be published and um, literary people will buy it regardless of the price and I can usually get that through. We're talking now, though, about 
publishing even shorter books um, as an experiment. Um, you know, in order in Ontario for an Ontario publisher to get the Ontario crack tax credit, which we need to publish uh, a book, um, a book needs to be 48 pages long. <laughs> uh, and so technically it's possible. We're actually thinking about doing it. The editor that who started this ball rolling said, oh, she's looking for, for works that, that are up over 100,000. My heart sinks when I get a submission that's over 100,000 words. Um, for fiction in particular, biographies and, and journalistic nonfiction are a different question because they have to go into depth on subjects and they can be long. And honestly, we're just about to publish a 700-page uh, biography that's a, that's a work of scholarship, so it has to be that long. But for a work of fiction, um, I, literary fiction... If it's something well over 100,000 words long, I'm immediately suspicious that there are bits in it that are repetitive and I'd be looking to cut them out. I'm, I'm skeptical before I even start. Right. And, is, and so would you, would you call literary fiction a genre of its own, with its own conventions? No, I wouldn't. I would distinguish between uh, literature and genre fiction. because the very, the very thing about genre fiction is it relies on... Uh, as Amanda said, convention. So it relies on certain tropes and certain expectations which must be met. And uh, uh, the very that, and that's what defines all genre. And I would say that what defines literary fiction is that it does not belong to a genre. Yeah. So I think it's, from an agent perspective, you know, I think in some ways I'm in between these these two worlds a little bit because and I, so I, and I'm signing a, a wide variety. I, I have I have authors, you know, that I've only ever seen three chapters of their work. I have authors who. I have one author who's doubled the normal conventional size of a manuscript that I've taken on. I have authors who are potential authors. They have not yet actually written anything that I'm, you know, sort of aligning myself with because I think they should write a book. Um, so obviously it doesn't determine the acquisitions, but it's something I'm very conscious of when it comes to submissions to, you know, places like Dundurn and other places. Um, I, do, I just don't want to put editors in a position where they're going to say no. Um, and I think, but I think the thing that I think we're agreeing on, Russell, is I'm also like, if if they're outside of sort of any sort of conventional word count, I want it to be a selling feature of the book, not a problem that you have to overlook. Like, I want to be like, look, it's 561,000 words and it's called War and Peace. And like for it to live up to the billing, right? Like that's the, you know, uh, that's a that's a pitch. Um, sorry, or a very similar thing you could do for, you know, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which... Did you know um, 257,000 words is longer than Moby Dick? Uh, so I did do my half-ass internet research for this podcast. Um, but the point is, I, I'm just going to say that, you know, for most projects, you're not going to do that. And I do think there's a lot of good reasons for that, some of which you've already alluded to, um, Russell. So I guess maybe the next question I have, you know, are work count preferences intrinsic or extrinsic? Is it a question of outside forces like genre conventions, paper costs, production ramifications, or is it more of a personal preference or tied to the specific story? Um, what do you think, Amanda? Well, first, I'd like to go back to what you said about um, uh, Harry Potter uh, the length of the word count there. Um, that again is an established author starting to get yes. away with more and more each book. And the same with A Song <laughs> of Ice and Fire. They get progressively longer because the audience is trusting, the people want the long book, they've proven themselves. It's the same idea as when you are you have to learn how to write first and then you can break the rules. You have to prove that you know how to write first um, within the established word count, I think, before you can start breaking the word count rules. And I think it's really true when it comes to to, um, 
acquisitions um, or trying to find an agent, a lot of agents are going to dismiss you if you have a word count outside what's expected. And there's two reasons for that. One, they're going to think that you haven't learned what is expected of the genre. And the second is they're going to think maybe you don't know how to kill your darlings and uh, cut down to what is really, truly um, deserving to be in the story. And so that's going to cause a little bit of apprehension. Oh, is this writer somewhere in their writing path where I can work with them yet? So I think there is that sort of built-in um, bias at first. And you're saying, well, I don't want to miss anything, but there are a lot of automatic rejections that are happening um, just right off the word count. Well, yeah, I think Ahmed is absolutely right that if someone is a very established author, I'm, I'm going to look at something of any word count. Somebody is an unpublished author I've never read before, and they submit a 500,000 word manuscript manuscript, it's kind of a non-starter because the costs in printing that would be so great that the risk, the financial risk would be too great. And, and, and if, if the writer hasn't proven him or herself, then the risk is we just can't take it. So for me, the, the, that, yes, the, only with really, really long books would I, would I automatically dismiss something like that. I, I did some math for this podcast and, um, for, you know, Atlas Shrugged is 520, 562,000 words. So for a regular copy edit, 1,200 words per hour at $40 an hour, it would take an editor 468 hours and they would charge $19,000 for it. And I think that that is for one tiny bit of the process. And I just think that sometimes authors are not always aware, like there's a sunk cost, it's like Bitcoin, like, you, you know, you, it's a, it shouldn't be the primary issue, but it really is in fact becomes untenable at some point. Um, I, I, I know an author who complains that editors always want him to write much longer than he likes to write. Uh, and, I, and, I think we should, uh, and I think we should tolerate the short, particularly in literary fiction, much more. It's funny because that does happen to me in mine. I tend to turn in a shorter first draft and I do sometimes get a little bit of, of prejudice saying, oh, well, this isn't long enough for a fantasy. But part of my editing process is adding in that extra 20,000 or 30,000 words and seeing where I need to add more story. And I, for my writing process, it works a lot better than having to cut large portions of writing. So I think everyone is different in that case. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree. You know, I think as an editor, as an agent, often, you know, almost anything will benefit from from cutting. Um, and it just crystallizes the ideas and it, you end up most most often with a better work of art. Um, so maybe just quickly, a quickly, um, do you wish word count didn't matter? Any thoughts on that? I wish all economic considerations didn't matter, <laughs> but unfortunately they do. I, I think it's disingenuous to um, write a story to a certain word count just to fit in. It has to matter to the story at the end of the day, and, it, and your readers will know if you're just adding things for the sake of adding or taking away um, and not telling the whole story. It has to come across as genuine, but of course there's also you know no reason that you can't genuinely write within the word count. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. It was, it was, a, it was a pleasure to discuss uh, book size with you all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, that was Russell Smith, acquiring editor at Dundurn Press, and Amanda Sun, uh, author of the Paper God series. Log lines borrowed from the film and TV world are becoming more and more important in pitching books. Jennifer Chavez gives us five tips to make your log lines sing. My name is Jennifer Chavez, assistant agent at the Wrights Factory, and today I want to talk about log lines. Picture it. 
We're in the post-pandemic world, you're at a conference mingling, and you find yourself face-to-face with an agent or editor. If you're lucky, they'll ask you to pitch them your story. Or you want to participate in a pitch event on Twitter. You've got 280 characters for your comps, otherwise known as comparable titles, and a one-sentence pitch for your story. We could also call this pitch a logline. So what's a logline? Loglines are a brief summary of your story with an emotional hook. The term can be tied to the TV and film industries, but they make a lot of sense for the book industry too. For example, The Hunger Games could be a young woman volunteers to replace her little sister as tribute, saving her from playing a deadly televised event pitting young people from different districts against each other. Is the logline for your manuscript ready? Here are five tips to nailing your logline. One, look at your story like a reporter would. What's the who, what, where, when, why, and how? Two, what does your main character want, and why does that matter? Three, is your story ominous, or is it light? What kind of words make that obvious? Four, you've got one sentence to get to your story's essence. Make every word count. Remember that the logline is the bait to real decision makers in. Five, now practice it out loud. Is it easy to say on the fly? Does it sound weird in your head? Are you stumbling over the words? If you feel uncomfortable saying it, it could be uncomfortable hearing or reading it. If it takes you 31 tries to get it right, that's okay. As you're crafting your logline, remember that agents are looking at the long game We want to see manuscripts adapted to the screen. By putting together a logline, you've now got a hot little marketing tool that'll work in your favor. You'll be ready when you find yourself face-to-face with one of us at a conference. And I don't know about you, but I can hardly wait for that to finally happen. It's no secret that writers can literally take months to work on their pitches. But the even bigger issue is, do agents and editors even read the whole thing? To explore the idea of how far agents and editors read before they stop and how you can get them to keep reading, ideally right to the end, we've assembled this panel. Also, between the time we recorded the panel and its airing, Rachel Del Grosso, one of the panelists, has left Wise Wolf Books. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today, we have an amazing YA panel, and the question we're asking everybody is, how much of a submission do we actually read? So, um, first up, we have the person who came up with this concept, who is Stacey Condla, um, uh, agent at the Rights Factory. Hi, Sam. Hey, Stacey. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. We missed you on the podcast. I'm happy to have you back. Uh, we also have today uh, Kalena Miller, one of Stacy's author and the the uh, author of the YA debut novel just out, um, "The Night When No One Had Sex," which sounds like a pretty good title, actually. Hi, thank you. And um, uh, last but not least, we have a publisher, somebody from the other side, and this is Rachel Del Grosso, the publisher of. Wise Wolf Publishing. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. 
Okay, so I want to start with um, just as every athlete has a pre-game ritual, every agent and editor must have their own way of approaching their emails and submissions in the morning. You come in, you're like, what am I going to get today? But before we get to, in this case, an agent and editor, I want to ask Kalena, the writer, what she, like, what do you think the the, the editors and the agents are doing? Because I, I mean, you submit, you press send and you're like, oh my God, I really want somebody to fall in love with my book that I've this, racked two years of my life trying to write. Right. Like, I can't wait until nine months from now when I hear something. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's always interesting because I always, you know, like we all think we're the center of the universe. And so I'm always imagining like, you know, you've got to be at the top of somebody's to-do list, of course, right? And then I, I'll see agents or editors tweet, like, how many submissions they got that month. And it's just, like, an overwhelming number. And then it's, like, you you drop in the opposite direction. Like, there's no way they're ever going to read my book. They have 30 million books that they're reading. Um, so I, I think this is a really interesting question that I think will be helpful for authors to kind of think about how quickly they do have to get somebody's attention and how much they have to hold on to their attention and keep them interested. Because I know obviously we spend forever reading our own work, right? And to imagine that you only get 10 minutes, I don't, I don't know, like that that's, that's stressful to think about for sure. Well, you said 30 million, so let's go with that. So Stacy, we'll start with you. Do you, how many, what does your inbox look like and, and how do you approach it? Yeah, so I mean, my 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 queries since the beginning of the summer have been zero because I closed to submissions. But before that, um, what, while I was open to submissions, you know, I was getting probably five to ten a day, which is a lot, right? Um, and it's a lot to go through. So, but I mean, if it's a picture book, couldn't you just like read it in a minute and say no? Y- y- yes. I could, um, but also it, it depends on what else is going on in your day, right? But <laughs> but when you're getting five to ten a day, you're not just getting five to ten picture books a day, right? You're getting all sorts yeah, yeah, of projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just so, joking. Yeah, it's it it can be a lot. Um, but my my pregame ritual basically is I really like to focus on on queries and give them the attention that they deserve, and so I, I tend to not look at them very much throughout my work week because I'm distracted with too many other things. I'm doing client work. I'm having meetings with editors. I don't have the headspace for queries throughout the work week. So I save my queries for Sunday mornings with my coffee when I can just devote my headspace to them. (laughs) That's my pregame thing. I'm up early Sunday morning. I've got my coffee in one hand, my laptop on my lap, and I'm ready to go. Um, And I I dig in from there. Great. And uh, and Rachel, what's it like? You know, you're the publisher. You have this fast-growing company. I can't even imagine what your your life is like. I mean, I know a little bit of, of our side on the agenting, but what is it like for you? So, you know, we're still relatively new, right? So we're right now we're in a relatively unique position where we're still sort of unknown in a way, right? So we're not, I'm not receiving hundreds of submissions a day. Um, I don't have email upon email. Maybe you should never agree to come on this podcast because <laughs> you, 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 you might be. You might be getting those uh, after this airs. Yeah, I mean, we should only be so lucky, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, so when a submission comes in, it's, it's pretty likely, I'm, uh, you know, I'm at least glancing at the synopsis. Almost 
quite, you know, almost right away. And so if something pops up in the synopsis, I might shoot a note to the publishing assistant and say, hey, take a look at this. That, you know, it would bring it to her attention a little quickly. Um, she's seeing them, you know, the publishing assistant is seeing them at the same time I'm seeing them. Um, so we might kind of just flag flag some that catch our attention and they might be looked at sooner than later. And, you know, if we get a submission from an agent that we've worked with before, we're probably going to look at that a little quicker. Um, you know, at this point, we do try to look at submissions and respond to them within 90 days. Um, there are times we can respond a little bit sooner. Um, sometimes it's a little bit longer than that, but, you know, we try to respond, respond as quickly as we can. I love your 90 days goal because I feel like it's only maybe this within this window of your the career of the publisher that you have that kind of grace. And and I feel like I remember you know talking to a big an editor at a big five publisher and I said, you know, if you guys get unsolicited, how how long does it take to get back to them? And they're like, well, once in a while we get an intern to just clear the the whole thing, <laughs> but it's like an intense, you know, internship where somebody goes through everything. And then if they catch some once in a while, they'll flag something, but you know, it could be, it could be six months. It could be a year. So I think 90 days is a great goal. That's really exciting. Do you guys have any techniques of dealing with overwhelm? Um, so let's start with, uh, let's, we just ended with you, Rachel. So let's go back to Stacey. So, so you, you've got your Sunday coffee, you've gone through stuff. What happens when you feel that sense that you're never going to get through everything? How do you deal with that moment? Yeah, so I feel like because I'm an agent and I have Query Manager as my tool, um, I have the the added benefit that I can just say, okay, I'm drowning in queries. I'm overwhelmed. I need to close so I can catch up. <laughs> I don't think that editors at publishing houses have that same liberty, right? Like they, they, they typically just cannot close to submissions. Um, cause what, cause what if they miss the next Harry Potter? <laughs> I know, but th- that being said, I know of at least one one publisher that has closed to queries until the new year, just because they are so drowning um, sub- submissions. And you know, some smaller presses only have specific windows that you can send in submissions, right? So, I mean, different publishers approach it differently. But as an agent, I just get to say, okay, I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to close to queries so that I can spend the next few months just catching up on top of my client work. Um, I don't like to close to queries because I also have FOMO. I don't want to miss out. <laughs> right? Oh, I know that feeling well. Um, and Rachel, what do you feel about this? Do you, so you're, it seems like we got you at such a good time that you're actually able to look at most of the stuff. But maybe we can get into more detail about that. If you're not, you, you don't get overwhelmed that you're like, okay, oh my God, I can't deal with all this. You know, we need more assistance. We need a bigger team. So how much are you in that luxurious point where you can actually read as much as you want or are you do you have some are you starting to put in place some kind of rules like if we if we they don't get us in the first chapter or the first page like a lot of editors are you know this um kind of strict like i don't know do you have any any thoughts on that or any feedback or anecdotes so i mean as i mentioned we're pretty new we're not getting five submissions a day um, you know, on a good week, we might get 20, but in talking about what would make me stop reading or keep reading, 
Um, I think one of the first things is if you start reading something and you think, mm, I've heard this before, right? That's, that's a big, that's a, that's a big no, no for me, right? It's, it's one thing if you're kind of emulating, um, authors that you look up to and whatnot, but you still have to be telling your own story, right? Originality is still going to be key. Um, and then mm-hmm. something I've seen is that sometimes authors seem to be talking down to the readers, like the, the writings coming from this preachy place. Um, that'll definitely turn me off. Um, I won't read too long. Um, another one of the big things, and I think this is maybe something that, that differentiates Wise Wolf from bigger publishing houses, is that honestly, before we even look at a manuscript we're looking at the social presence of the author. Um, They don't need to have thousands and thousands of followers, um, but we want to see that they're online, that they're trying to reach out to to their um, readers. So, you know, if we come across a manuscript and there's zero, zero social media, it's unlikely that we're even going to look at it. So you're saying that platform really is that important to you because you, is it because you feel like the author needs to have a sense of engagement with the world and you're looking at social media as a measure of that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, they don't need to have 20,000 followers, but we want to see that they're at least putting themselves out there and trying. And especially in the YA genre, I mean, you have to be on, you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. You, You need to have a presence. Um, okay, I'm going to move over to Kalena. So, uh, sorry, Kalena, as an author, um, this platform thing is interesting. But before we get to that, how do you feel when, you know, you talked about, you know, you submitted and you're like, oh, my God, is it going to be nine months? I know and just in, in my dealing with authors, I often have this Tom Petty video that I send them. Uh, which is the waiting is the hardest part. And nobody knows how hard it is until the thing that they've spent so much effort and time giving me and they're trusting me to get it out. And I tell them it's out to the editors. Let's just fingers crossed. This is the hard part. We could hear back. I mean, the fastest I've heard back is 24 hours. Like Sam, we want to preempt it. Oh my God, I would just happen to every submission. <laughs> but And then of course, the worst thing is what happens is nothing. <laughs> so somewhere between a preempt, a fast preempt, and nothing happening, we have to manage our expectations. So um, I don't know if if Stacy ever sent you that Tom Petty video. She might next time, just so you know. <laughs> but uh, so how do you how do you feel about this? And then I want to ask about social media afterwards. Yeah, well, I'm a really impatient person, like in all aspects of life, which would seem like it would make it worse, but it actually really just makes this seem like yet another thing I'm impatient about. So it really doesn't affect (laughs) my day to day that much. Like I refresh my email every five minutes just as a compulsion. So it, it doesn't really change my day to day that much. I, I will say for me, what's hard is knowing that some of them will never respond ever. That's stressful. Like if I knew that everybody, even if it's gonna take them a year, if I knew that everybody at some point would respond, then I think that would give me a little bit more comfort of knowing like, okay, there's an end date where we can like close this book literally and figuratively. But the fact that it can sometimes just seem to go on forever and ever and ever, and it's like, are they gonna respond? And then Stacy follows up and we hear nada. And I think that's kind of frustrating just because it's like, I don't even know if, if they exist. Well, at least they know now know your secret, which is 
the night that no one had sex. Um, so, so in terms of social media, how do you feel about that? Are you actively trying to build a bigger platform or be more engaging with your community? Or are you just like, I'm too exhausted by just the writing. I can't do both. No, I do a lot of social media. I really enjoy it uh, for the most part. I mean, not that like Twitter doesn't make me want to pull my hair out, but generally speaking, I, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, used to be on Tumblr, kind of use Facebook, like, you know, any and all, right? I think it is about like in, in the YA space, then yes, you're connecting with readers. But I think what is also really important is that kind of being your landing page when someone goes looking for you, like they're not necessarily looking for your website anymore. They're typing your name into Instagram. And so being a place where they can see a little bit of who you are and what you're like and what your vibe is and what you're working on is great, both for readers and for other writers or whoever in the world trying to connect with you. Right. Um, And so I think, Obviously, if people like despise social media, then that's going to be stressful. But I think if you can find some platform or some aspect of it that you don't loathe, then like exploit that for all you've got, right? Awesome. So um, I wanted because we we have that rare moment where we have um, uh, an agent and an author here. I wanted to ask a bit about how you guys connected in terms of like submissions, reading, like using the frame of our topic today, give me a bit of the story. And and I love the idea that you're both here. So feel free to interrupt each other. Let's just make it really messy and a good convo. So who wants to start? So let me start with you. You wrote this query. Mm-hmm. You sent it to how many agents? A lot. Um, well, I, I had queried one book before. Um, and I'd had a really terrible experience with an agent, not an agent that I signed with, but she just like, had all these revise and resubmits and she just like led me on for a really long time. And then that ended up like crashing and burning. Right. Um, and so I had this new project and I queried it pretty widely. Like I, did you always have that great title? Cause the title had me at hello, you know? Yeah. No, that, that, that was the second book that we mm. pitched. There, there was a book that I signed Kalina. Oh my for God. So there's more to the story than I know. Yeah, exactly. So okay, sorry, Kalina, keep going. Oh, right. Okay. So then, <laughs> This other book was another YA rom-com. It was a little bit of a younger YA. Um, And so that is what Stacey initially read and, you know, liked in theory. Um, And did did she have R&R notes for you or was she just like, I want to work with you? And you were like, I've sent it to 50 other agents. I need to think about this. It wasn't 50, (laughs) but yeah, no, she she liked it. Um, We talked about it. Yeah. How did she win you over? Um, well, I was at Valley Fair, which is an amusement park in Ohio. And I got the email and I was like freaking out because she'd been a person who I thought was a really good fit. You know how there are some agents when you submit to them and it's like, I feel like you would like me if you would like actually read this, right? And so Stacey was one of those. And so it honestly didn't take that much winning over because I like kind of had a lot of information going in. I wasn't too hard to convince. Stacy's like a hard riser. If you look up Publishers Marketplace, I don't think anybody at this agency has ever done the volume of deals in such a short time that she has. So that was a good call. So Stacy, what was it like from your point of view, like getting the the pitch and and knowing that there was competition in terms of agents? 
Yeah, so I mean, at that time, that was when I was just a, a brand new agent with with the Rights Factory, right? And I was building my client list, and I was getting a lot of emails because I was still taking my queries through email at that time. Hadn't moved over to Query Manager yet, um, and I got this this query from Kalina, and I, I I liked the title of the project. That's what grabbed my attention first of all was the title. And then I read the pitch and I'm like, oh, this sounds like a lot of fun, right? Because the pitch itself had quirky characters, it had some humor, it, uh, it was about a destination wedding, you know, like there was just all, all this fun stuff going on. So I opened up the manuscript and uh, started reading and didn't stop. I loved it. Like I loved it. And like to this day, I weep inside that it hasn't found <laughs> I'm sure that could be easily be repositioned as Kalena's third or fourth novel when she becomes famous and gets that Netf- right? Netflix adaptation yeah. that we're all waiting for. Yeah, but I, I was really happy to to have um, an opportunity to chat with Kalina. We got to know each other a little bit over the phone, and I was able to offer representation and just really, really happy that it worked out in the end. Well, let's pause there because this, this will be interesting to our audience. So you said, I want to rep you. I love this book. I, you know, you've had this conversation. So Kalena, what did you do then? You had somebody excited. Did you, it's kind of like dating, right? You're like, wait, are we going to be exclusive now? Cause I think there might be some other fabulous people. I can't give up right now. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, I feel like maybe I'm like this with dating too, but I like knew what my, I wanted going in, you know what I mean? So like it, it wasn't really like she was, there weren't really anything that could be like a red flag or like, oh, I need to check with other people, right? Like I had made my decision before we got on the phone. So it was a very easy decision for me because I'd already made it. Yeah, that's so good. I, I never heard this story, but I'm really happy that's, and, and obviously I know you guys have a second book that you announced that you're working on. So, so that worked out well. So um, just so that Rachel doesn't feel cut out of this. So <laughs> Rachel, um, it wasn't me. It was actually Natalie Kimber, um, uh, at the Rights Factory, who sent you Runaway Train. Do you remember what what it was about that story that got you? So that was actually one of the very first submissions that I got from an agent, which was really exciting. So, um, I mean, it was set in the, in, the, in the 90s, right? So it's this grungy music scene and everything, which was super exciting to read about. Um, I mean, the... The, the title right away, Runaway Train, you're, you know, you're thinking, what's going on? You here? thought of the song. Yeah. And so, you know, every chapter is titled after a song in the 90s. And it was just, it was just so, the idea seemed so original to me. And, you know, I started reading and it was one of those ones that I just couldn't put down. I mean, Lee Matthew Goldberg, he's a great writer. And um, we were, you know, we were just excited to have him come on board. I, I think Natalie told me too that, that you guys were so bullish about it. You were like, we want a series. And, and it was like this conversation with Lee. Like, I think for him, it was maybe a one-off. But then now, I mean, it, it could be this great series that I know the second, the third book, I think he just finished. So it's like, he's so fast. I'm just so impressed that you guys saw that, had that vision going into it. So that was um, impressive. Are series something that you're looking for? Yeah, we definitely, you know, our parent company, um, Wolfpack Publishing, that's, that's what we've kind of built our backlist on and everything, right? It's, it, we, we really know how to sell the series. So yeah, when mm-hmm. we got this submission of Runaway Train, um, I mean, it was pretty obvious. We're like, yeah, this could be a series. It has great potential. 
And we did release a second book, uh, Grenade Bouquets. And then, yeah, he did just finish writing the third book and that will be coming out um, first quarter of 2022. Awesome. I have one last question for everybody. And that is, so we just, I, I feel, I mean, maybe I'm an optimist, but I feel we're coming out a little bit out of the pandemic. What do we think? What do we think about this? Do you guys have any thoughts about the future of like this kind of process of writing, submitting, reading, responding? Um, I'll just go through everybody one after another. So let's start with Stacy. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, things are going to get faster anytime soon, honestly. I, I feel like we all need to be preparing ourselves to wait, even though it's the hardest part. <laughs> so cute, cute Tom Petty. <laughs> exactly. Helena, any, any thoughts Any thoughts from your point of view? I mean, Stacey sold two of my books during the pandemic, so I don't feel too badly about it. And the one we submitted before the pandemic didn't sell. So Maybe like, you're just a brilliant writer. Yeah, that, that must Super be it. Brilliant. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I know things are trending longer, but like what to me, it's like, well, what's the difference between six months and nine months? Like very little. So I don't know. Because you're impatient anyway. Right. Like you There's said always the waiting. I don't, I, you know, on a, on the, on a micro level, then I don't feel that much different about it. That's, it's such a funny way of looking at the world. I just, I just think of you and it's like, well, it's going to take a week to get a response or nine months, which each one would probably be just as frustrating. So I don't but really honestly, care. Yeah. That's really awesome. <laughs> uh, Rachel, any, any, so for you, I imagine as time goes on and your, your company becomes more established and you have more books like uh, Lee Matthew Goldberg series and, and other, other YA books coming out, um, you're going to get more pitches. You're going to get more agents. You're going to get more agents bugging you saying, hey, we got, you know, we have, a, we have other interests. Do you want to you come in on, a, on an auction for this book? And, you, and your stakes are going to get higher. What, what, what do you think you're going to, how do you think you're going to respond to this? Do you, or do you have any plans uh, for the future? We, if that happened, we'd probably have to bring on more people <laughs> to be looking at submissions. Because um, right now, yeah, it's two of us. Um, if we, you know, hopefully we do get to that point where it's, we're taking a year to respond. I mean, that would mean we're doing something <laughs> right. So I'll give myself a little pat on the back. And you have a million queries in your inbox. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, so good to, um, uh, chat with all you guys today. Thanks for being, uh, on our panel. We're so grateful. And, um, uh, Good luck on everybody's books. Kalena, I'm excited to see where your book goes. I know, Stacy, you're still pitching your guts out. And Rachel, I'm sure you're reading away and you're probably going to have to decide when you're going to stop for the year and say, that's yeah. it, this is going to be read next year. Yeah. Okay, thanks and bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Another Agent Provocateur episode done. If you've made it this far, we only have a lot of love for you. As you know, we love getting attention. Thanks to all the TRF staff, all of our guests, and our producer, Andrew Kaufman. By the way, I know I've asked all of you to keep rating and reviewing us um, online. And so far, after some profoundly deep investigations, I've only found one person who's rated us a one on Apple Podcasts. So... We're one for one. How's that for an agent spin on it? See you next week for the last episode of season two as we respond to your brief audio pitches. Mm-hmm.